Welcome in this week in Indiana football, number 10. We are in double digits, folks, and we're also coming off of five. Welcome in this week in Indiana football, brought to you by Indiana Sports Beat Radio. Tim Coyle, Monday through Friday on YouTube, 9 to 11 a.m. also on ESPN Radio in Evansville, 97.7 The Ref, and WBRO in Marengo. Joining me, as always, Dustin Schutte. From Saturday Tradition, resident Mel Tucker uh, fan in the house with us as we uh, have Michigan State coming in to face the Hoosiers this week. You were going to say Stan account. You were going to say Mel Tucker. I, well, that's what I account. tweeted at you the other yeah. day. So this is what yeah, was about so to roll off my tongue. If anybody watches us on YouTube, by the way, I'm watching the Braves Brewers current game four that we got going on here. So I'm not like just looking off into the abyss here. There is actually something happening that nobody can see. Maybe you can see it through my glasses. I don't know. Maybe not. We can always see the reflection a little bit of, of what's going on when you're, whether it's on Jim show or here because of the, the screen, but you're an Atlanta Braves fan, huh? That's my team. And of course, now that you just got an, that's my team for the postseason. When you live in Kennesaw, Georgia, you live around the Atlanta metro area. The Braves are very big, so I've decided to take it upon myself to become a Braves fan, stay an account, if you will. Uh, so I don't really know that much, but I'm trying to learn here. I mean, I know baseball, but this, I'm new to this. Great thing. Fan. Growing up an Indiana fan, I, I watched Indiana baseball, but I was never really big in pro baseball. And so whenever it came to trying to understand the pitching rotations and the amount of games they played in the major leagues, I didn't get it because all it was to me was you had your Friday night starter, your Saturday night guy, your Sunday night guy for college baseball, and then your midweek guy. Where in the major leagues, it's much more complicated than that. You know, what's funny is when I started doing the job I'm doing now back in 2014, I really kind of put baseball on a hiatus because I'm trying to you know focus on – everything Big Ten and football, basketball, everything else. But I've kind of expanded expand here. I used to be, when I was in college, I worked a night job as a restaurant cook. And I was a, I watched the Cubs almost every day because they were typically on in the afternoons. Or if they had a West Coast trip, they would be about midway through the game when I would be getting done. So baseball was a really fun for me during my college summer years. Uh, during that time, the Cubs, they were okay, but it was fun. But I had it down to the rotation. I knew the the nine-man lineup. Like, I used to be a big, big baseball guy. And then, like I said, I just took a hiatus from it because it wasn't a top priority. So now I'm, I'm getting back into it. I'm inching my way back into Major League Baseball with a brand-new team. So I'll gladly be called a bandwagon fan. I, that does not bother me one bit. Hey, the only thing I've ever done recently in terms of an MLB fandom was – Following Kyle Schwarber, a former Indiana baseball oh, player, yeah. he was on he was on the Cubs World Series team. Now he's playing for the Red Sox. Just won a division championship last night, so that's something I'm keeping an eye on as somebody who follows Indiana, uh, and that's pretty exciting if you're a Hoosiers fan. So, Kyle Schwarber in the MLB playoffs. Let's go ahead and move into a little Big Ten football, though. What a freaking weekend, though. We had Penn State, Iowa. We had a a controversial end to the Michigan Nebraska game. Uh, Michigan State's looking really good. We had a shutout with Wisconsin and Illinois, and then uh, a blowout with Ohio State and Maryland. Uh, plenty of stuff going on in Big Ten country right now. Yeah, I mean, it was an incredibly entertaining weekend. I mean, I think you had a little bit of everything. The only thing that really wasn't appetizing was I think that the forward pass died in Champaign on Saturday <laughs> because, Jesus, those were the worst. was the worst display of passing I've seen from a non-triple option team maybe ever like since in the history like you know I shared that tweet of like you know that play I think it was an NFL play where like all the guys on the offensive line fall down and the guy does a two-handed yeah it's like they're just standing up yeah and like that's what it looked like to me like neither team I couldn't the quarterbacks were terrible I think there were like six of 26 through the first half for 27 yards or it was ridiculous how bad it was but I mean, it's, we, we, it's crazy to me when you go back to week zero and you have Nebraska and Illinois, Illinois wow. gets the win. Since then, both teams have gone in completely opposite directions. Yeah, I would like to see, even if that game is played in week one, is it the same result? I, I just don't understand how that was possible. Now, I know that Illinois has gone through some 
they've had some injuries. So on, on both sides of the ball, and those have been some significant injuries. So I'm sure that there's been some issues with gelling there, but Illinois, they don't even look like a couple weeks. They looked competitive, right? Like they, they lost a close one to Maryland. They lost a close one to a pretty good UTSA team, lost a close one to Purdue. So they've been in some games, but my God, what they didn't even hit triple digits in terms of total offense against Wisconsin. And to be quite frank, the other part of that, that that's really troubling for me on the Illinois side is Wisconsin didn't play well either. Like that was they played well defensively, but on the offensive side, that was not a good game. So the fact that you couldn't muster any points, considering how much Wisconsin uh, struggled on the offensive side, I mean, whew, it. I, but Nebraska's fun, so we can talk about them. <laughs> Illinois, I just I don't know what else to say about Illinois at this point in time, other than I much longer rebuild than maybe I had previously envisioned for Brett Bielema. Yeah, between both of their quarterbacks, Brandon Peters was three for seven, 12 yards. Arter Sikowski, eight for 27, 55 yards. So only 67 yards through the air between both quarterbacks. So you got a mess of offense. I mean, it makes Indiana's problem on offense seem like child's play. Yeah, it does. I mean, at least they – Michael Penix has looked bad. He has not looked nearly as bad as any of the three quarterbacks that played in Champaign on Saturday. I'll just leave it so at that. There, there you go. Uh, the, the game of the week, Iowa-Penn State. And and not to mention that there's, as of this afternoon, I believe, there was quite a bit of drama going on between things that James Franklin said and things that Kirk Ferentz said, both of them not equaling up to each other, and it's causing the fan bases to go raucous on Twitter. I think it's pretty hilarious. Uh, I, I just – I don't really know what to say other than the I – mean, it's about injuries, right? There's they, they're, someone, One of the coaches, Penn State, is thinking that Iowa – no, excuse me, Kirk Ferentz is thinking that James Franklin's team, Penn State, was trying to fake injuries in order to seize the momentum that Iowa was taking from them. So I'll break this down for anybody that didn't really watch the game. So what happened was, is throughout the course of the game, occasionally a Penn State player, I didn't think it was that frequent to be quite honest with you, but maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention. But throughout the course of the game, it seemed like when Iowa would have a big play, a defensive player for Penn State would go down. And when that happens enough times throughout the course of a game, fans think that the players are faking that injury, especially when there are guys that, maybe go out for a play or maybe two plays on the field and looking at full strength. So after the game, James Franklin made the comment that I'm not a big fan of Iowa or Iowa's fans booing our injured players. Uh, they don't run a tempo offense. It's not something we teach and we're not looking to take advantage of Iowa in any way. It would have not really benefited us. So you get his perspective and then you get Kirk Ferentz on Tuesday during his press conference who said, you know, they smelled a rat. Our fans aren't stupid. He And he did say, he said, there were there were a few players that were legitimately hurt. He said, I saw a guy on the bench who had an ice pack on his knee. Obviously, their quarterback got hurt. I think he mentioned somebody else. P.J. Uh, Mustafer, defensive tackle, went out early in that game, and he didn't play again. So there were a couple um, guys that, that didn't come back that, that Kirk Ferentz acknowledged, and he said, I hope that those guys are okay because I don't like to see injuries. He's like, but when you see a guy go down and then he's back one or two player, one or two plays later, you know, that that gets uh, suspicious. And, you know, that just added fuel to the fire because Penn State fans are on the, you know, we would have won if Sean Clifford had played and they're probably right. But Iowa at the same time is saying, you know, it's a team game and injuries happen and we still won the game and that's all that matters. And, and they're right. So, Neither side is willing to concede right now, and it's making for for an uh, uh, an innocent bystander, somebody who's just watching from afar from the Goodyear blimp. I love it because I love when coaches say interesting <laughs> things that rile people up. Especially Kirk Ferentz, because the, I feel like the last time he was given a question, he just he just kind of laughed. I can't remember who it was. I think it was Iowa State, and the reporter yeah. had asked him a question about that, and he just kind of chuckled and, and walked off or whatever it was. So. Good to see you. some character from him. And I, Iowa, even even though, like you said, Sean Clifford was out for a good majority of the back half of that game, I was proven that their defense is legit. You got four turnovers against Penn State. They're getting turnovers against everybody. I don't know their exact total, but I feel like they have to be leading the country, if not close to leading the country in turnover margin. 
their exact total is 20 turnovers, 16 interceptions, and I believe plus 15 in the turnover margin. So not only are they turning teams over, they're not through six games. You have five turnovers, and you look at the defenses they played, Indiana, uh, Iowa State, and Penn State, that's that's pretty good. So um, it, it's, it's a nice balance there that not only are they getting a ton of turnovers this season, but that they're not turning the ball over. That's a good recipe for success. Another thing I, I saved on Twitter earlier, it's a list of or it's, it's a list of the top three longest active FBS winning streaks. It has Oklahoma with 14, Iowa at 12, Georgia at 10. But next to Iowa, it has a, an asterisk next to the 12, and underneath it says denotes win against Penn State is as unofficial because the QB for Penn State was injured and they were winning prior. I assume so that, I that was, was pretty sort of funny. joke, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely some sort of joke because even Alabama was Alabama playing against a backup quarterback too, and they ended up losing. Yeah. And it's Alabama. Yeah. There's no excuse for that. I believe Texas A&M lost their quarterback. I don't know if he got injured in the in the in the Colorado game where they won 10-7, or if it was beforehand and and they started a, a new quarterback. But uh, and I can't think of his name off the top of my head. I don't follow too much of the SEC too closely. I wouldn't be great at my job as a Big Ten if I. If I <laughs> Big Ten writer if I did that. But the point being is that, yes, I mean, Alabama played a backup quarterback and lost. So it's I hate to say next man up, but in the same – like you look at what Penn State did, it wasn't just the fact that they couldn't score. It was they couldn't move the freaking ball. Half the time they couldn't snap it without getting a penalty. Like that's a big problem. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that I was – that kind of I was scratching my head about after that game was James Franklin said Taquan Roberson, who's the backup who came in, he's not as loud as Sean Clifford. And I'm like, you 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 pump in crowd noise. How the hell is he not loud? Like, how do you not prepare your quarterback to be loud enough to get the sit? Like, I understand maybe it happening on the first cadence, you know, the first time you're out there. I mean. I don't, I don't like to me. That doesn't make any sense. How do you, how are you not going to be loud enough when you're the quarterback? How do you not fix yeah, that? I, I didn't get That's that either. And I noticed on the uh, the play by play with with Gus Johnson and them talking about the offensive linemen having to tap the center to even be able to to make sure that they're not getting these false starts, which I thought was pretty wild. Yeah, they talked about it like for ten straight snaps before they finally figured out that he <laughs> waved his hand in front of him. It was not like the fact that they were talking about it so early. I again, I understand the first drive you're trying to get. You know, let's see if he settles in, whatever the case might be. But it wasn't working for multiple drives, and they waited till like the last possible second to try to find something. And I mean, it was it was horrendous to watch. I mean, it did look like what we saw between Illinois and Wisconsin a little bit, Penn State's offense. They did they did piece together one drive where they went down and got a field goal. But, I mean, outside of that, it was ugly. Yeah, so I guess one last note I want to make about the, the whole backup quarterback stuff that people have been bringing up all over social media and talking about it in college football, in the college football world, is I think the prime example of where – that shouldn't matter, especially when you look at elite teams like Penn State. You got Cardale Jones from Ohio State several years ago who comes in and helps them win a national championship. If you're someone like Penn State where your backup is supposed to be somebody who – and I know you have Will Levis from last year who's with, with Kentucky now, so technically he would have been your third string. But I, I don't know. Am, am, I giving, am I giving too much credit to Penn State's recruiting or – or do you think that the whole backup QB situation really is something that is kind of overrated talk right now? Well, Penn State has traditionally not recruited. They've recruited okay at the quarterback position. They haven't been great at it. But the but to your point, I think, look, a few years ago, look at what happened. Zach Anik said was the starter at Minnesota. Tanner Morgan had to come in, and he was able to win them four games uh, at the end. I think it was four games at the end of the season. You look at last year, Michael Penix goes down. Jack Tuttle gets a win against Wisconsin on the road. You look at Purdue. I know that they're not a great program, but they've had guys Aiden Connell and Jack Plummer have substituted in. Both those guys have won games. You have to be ready. And I understand Taquan Roberson going into a top 10 matchup against Iowa on the road in Kinnick Stadium is a little bit different than probably some of those. But And especially last year, that might be a bad example with Jack Tuttle uh, because there were no fans at Camp Randall. That probably does make a, a 7 to 10 point difference in that game. But the point I'm trying to make is you have to – 
you have to be ready for those situations. And so the thing, again, that I, that I come back to is James Franklin saying, I wonder where Penn State's going to be if they don't commit all those penalties. Like, I legitimately wonder, would they have been able to move the ball? Maybe not, but maybe that helps the punting situation. Maybe that helps win field position because that was a huge factor in that game. Torrey Taylor, by the way, not getting punter of the week from yeah. the guy or the spe- or from the Big Ten, uh, uh, special teams player of the week. Like, it's ridiculous. Clearly nobody appreciates punting in the Big Ten anymore. Um, but anyway, after I got off my soapbox, thought, like <laughs> – the point is, is how do you not train a quarterback, whether it's first, second, third, fourth, the guy in the freaking parking lot who's going to be a walk-on, how do you not train him to be loud enough? All you have to do is figure out what you're going to do in terms of a cadence and think about all those penalties they had. Was it eight pre-snap penalties? I don't remember how many they had. It was several. It was. I think it was – I don't know if it now – I know they had 11 total penalties, but I don't know if it, it wasn't 11 pre-snap penalties. It was – I think it was – it probably wasn't 11, but it was up – I think it was more than five. So the point is, is even at five yards, that's 25 yards. And in a game with field position mattering that much and your punter uh, having to punt out of the back of his own end zone, and, I mean, they they had great field position, Iowa did, on that final drive when they connected that Nico Regani play um, from Spencer Petras for the game-winning touch – what ended up being the game-winning touchdown. So – Again, whether or not Taquan Roberson could have come in and dominated the game, I, I think that there was no way that was going to happen. But could he come in and game manage and maybe put together a drive or two to get enough points to get out of there with a win? Like, again, I put it a lot more on coaching because if, if the primary concern in that game is that you're not loud enough to get the cadence right to, to avoid these pre-snap penalties – Especially when you play in one of the loudest stadiums in college football at home. Thank you. You would think they would figure that the hell out. I like. No, no, they weren't at home. But think about a few years ago, Michigan came to town. Michigan had to use a timeout on the first play of the game before a second had even ticked off the clock because of the crowd noise. So you would think that maybe, maybe we should prepare our guys just in case something Mm -hmm. crazy happens. That I mean, I, I'm, I'm. (laughs) That thing, that his comment about that, like I don't even care who wins the game, but it irritated me to no end because I'm like, that's that's your excuse is he's not loud enough. I mean, yeah, plenty plenty of drama going on between or in the aftermath of, of Penn State and Iowa, but we can go ahead and put that one to bed. We haven't talked much Indiana football, and this is an Indiana football podcast after all. They were on a bye week last week, so we wanted to go over some of last week's results first, which Indiana was not a part of. Michigan State, however, Indiana's opponent did play last week against Rutgers, winning 31 to 13. Still looking impressive. It doesn't matter who they play. I know the, the further we get into the year, though, one thing I took note of earlier today when just looking at who Michigan State's played, uh, even though Miami was ranked when they played them, it seems like the quality of their start might not be what it truly seems. I don't know that Michigan State is actually the number 11 team in the country at the end of the day. And I think a lot of that is bloated due to, to who they've played and what's happened to those teams afterward. That doesn't take away from how well they're performing, but what will it look like when they play better competition is one thing I've taken notice so far when when kind of taking my early looks at, at Michigan State so far. Well, I think the thing that's been impressive to me about Michigan State is – I don't think you're wrong, by the way. I think that when you look at their schedule, you probably look at it now. And week one, they dominated Northwestern. Northwestern isn't very good. Then they had uh, Youngstown State, which is an FCS team. Miami, like you said, not very good. Uh, so they have some – I think there are still some questions about the validity of Michigan State 6-0 start. But the thing that, that I keep coming back to and the reason why – I have more confidence in them is because they're able to beat you multiple ways. I mean, they beat Nebraska with the special teams play. They uh, Their defense stepped up when they needed to against Western Kentucky when Western Kentucky's offense started rolling a little bit. They were able – their defense played well against uh, Rutgers. I mean, they didn't give up. I don't think they gave up a point in the second half. I, I, I can't remember what the score was at halftime. I think it was 21-13. Uh, I could be wrong on that. could be misremembering that game. But either way, then you got Kenneth Walker who can beat you on – I mean, that guy ripped off a 94-yard touchdown run and was like, yeah, I think School I had a record, I believe, right? Yep, and and was like after the game, like, yeah, I think I had a 96-yard touchdown run when I was at Wake Forest. So, you know, no big deal for him. 
And then you've got Jaden Reed, who has been as explosive and as an electric as anybody. Then you had Jalen Naylor, who got three touchdown passes of 60-plus yards. I mean, this team has – the thing that I liked about Michigan State coming into the season was the weapons that they had in the running back room and at the skill positions. I was concerned about who was going to be under center. I was concerned about their offensive line. Offensive line looks really good. Quarterback Peyton Thorne, I think he's the second-best quarterback in the Big Ten right now behind C.J. Stroud. Which seems I mean, to be changing every week who your best quarterback in the Big Ten is, I, th- I would say. Yeah, but isn't that a fun problem to have as opposed to just like, well, we know it's Justin Fields. I mean, I would it much – definitely like- shows – I don't know if it shows the depth of the quarterback position or the lack of depth of the quarterback position in the conference. I would say this year lack of, but I don't think – I think C.J. Stroud and Peyton Thorne, Sean Clifford, like I think that there's a top five probably. You could throw Spencer Petras in there and Adrian Martinez, who I don't think gets enough credit. And then after that, I think we've kind of seen the the. I think the the shine has kind of off of Talia Tungavailoa a little bit. Now, obviously, they paid, played two really good teams in Iowa and Ohio State, but I think he doesn't look maybe quite as good as I thought he did. He was at the top for a while there, but I mean. Again, back to Peyton Thorne. He's play, what fourteen to two is his touchdown interception rate. He's got sixty four percent completion rate. I mean, he's playing at a really high level. Point being is this team's really its biggest weakness is its defense, and I don't think the defense is that bad. And I agree. Anytime if if you're like I said, I didn't know if they shut out Rutgers in the second half either. But anytime you can have someone go scoreless in the second half, that's obviously a good sign, no matter who you're playing. Uh, and w- one thing I took note of when you were talking about the quarterbacks that I want to share real quick, I think Spencer Petrus is the new Peyton Ramsey in the Big Ten. He's not the flashy quarterback, but he does all the things right, and he's likely going to lead his team to a West Division championship. Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. The, the thing I would, I would probably, I mean, I, are you just talking in terms of doing in terms of to- game management? Yeah. Because the thing that Peyton Ramsey could do really well was move with his feet, and Spencer Petrus doesn't have quite that same mobility. But I think in terms of not not messing up, well, you know what? Yes. Actually, I actually no, I would give Spencer Petrus the nod there because there were plays that Peyton Ramsey made that you were like, "What the hell are you doing?" Um, <laughs> and Spencer Petrus, at least so far, hasn't really done that. So I'm going to give him the nod there. But I think you're right in terms of. This is a quarterback you can trust to get you wins and not make usually not make that big error that's going to cost your team the game. Yeah, enough about that. We were talking about Michigan State, and I want to get back to, to Kenneth Walker. He's already uh, rushed for almost 1,000 yards, putting him on pace to be potentially a 2,000-yard rusher. I would say, I mean, just based off of this, if this type of season continues for someone who is a transfer from Wake Forest, I mean, he's a very much a dark horse Heisman candidate if Michigan State can be successful for the rest of the season, which is crazy, considering what they were last year. Well, considering what they were last year, absolutely. I don't think he's a dark horse, though. I like. I think he's probably one of the top three candidates in, in the country right now. When you look at what he's done, when you look at Michigan State being 6-0, the way he's done it, he can do it on the ground. He can do it as a receiver out of the backfield. I mean, this this guy's just explosive. He he runs over people. He runs around people. He runs through people. Doesn't really matter. I mean, this is. I I think he's the best running back in the Big Ten right now, and I, I think that the the next in line would probably be Travion Henderson at Ohio State. And that's one thing that worries me. Indiana is going to be playing Kenneth Walker and Travion Henderson in back to back weeks, and I don't think Indiana's defensive line has seen anyone nearly of their caliber so far this year. So they're going to be uh, very much challenged. I know Penn State has a decent rushing attack with with Noah Kane and all of that, but even I remember James Franklin saying he's not pleased with the way Penn State's run, rushing game is right now. So it's going to be interesting to see. I still think Indiana has a borderline elite defense. One thing that a lot of people on the Indiana side of things have been talking about this week especially since the the AP and coaches polls have come out. And I try to avoid thinking, putting too much into this, but they have undoubtedly played the toughest first five games out of anybody, not just in the Big Ten, 
but maybe out of the entire country so far. When you base it on what the their the polls of which teams are playing, has that played into all of the offensive struggles that we've seen? Partially, obviously, Michael Penix. I'm definitely on the side of Michael Penix not being completely 100 percent, and I'm looking forward to seeing what Jack Tuttle does this week in his first start. I don't think they've come out and said that for sure that he's going to be the starter, but I think it's pretty much written in the stars that that's going to happen. But um, I feel like I've just went on kind of a soapbox and forgot where I was going with that. But uh, I think I started with the uh, the, ske- the schedule. schedule and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so your thoughts, do you think, do you think the, the difficulty of Indiana's start to the season uh, is, is making them look worse than they actually are? Or do you think that this really just is a, an Indiana team that isn't, I mean, obviously they're not as good as they uh, were projected to be, but do, I still am on the side of that they can come out of this in some way, shape, or form. What are your thoughts on on that? Well, yeah, they can, but they've got to fix so much offensively. I mean, I think – I mean, your point is a valid one um, because the two the two defenses that they played in, in Iowa and Penn State I still think are two of the best in the country. <clears throat> and so what do you really learn about that? Um and then you played a Cincinnati team where you should have won that game, but you shot yourself in the foot. I mean, to me, this is just a team that's very right now very turnover prone. Um, it's a team that it, it can't like I don't I don't know what the offensive identity is. Like if I said to you, what is Indiana's identity offensively? What what is it? Oh, you're, you're asking me. I am asking See, you. So like, during so Michael Penix as a starter through five games, I agree they don't have an identity. But what I think is going to happen this week with Jack Tuttle, the one thing that I've always been very critical of with Michael Penix is the way that he seems to throw rockets at passes that are right in front of his face that could easily be caught. I don't know if that's on the receivers or if that's on the quarterback, but you're not going to see Jack Tuttle throwing laser beams at people on a slant route. And so I think you're going to see Indiana do a lot more of that and be successful with it, and that could potentially open up the passing game even more so that Jack Tuttle is able to have, I guess, more options after finding easier success with the simpler pass plays. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I think what Nick Sheridan's going to have to do with Jack Tuttle, and I, and I don't know, I, we haven't seen enough of him really to know this. I, I'm guessing he doesn't have the same sort of arm strength that Michael Penix does. And I think that that's going to be beneficial because I think what Indiana is going to try to do is maybe nickel and dime teams down the field a little bit and see if it'll draw the defense in and open things up down the field. And I really think that that's the best, uh, that's the best medicine. I also think that what Indiana needs to do is go into the bag of tricks. And I know that they're not a team that, that lives on trick plays or anything, but at this point, what do you have to lose? You're generating zero offense uh, through your first five games against quality competition. So I think you have to be a little bit more creative. They've had two weeks to prepare for this defense. They should know Michigan State's tendencies. They know that they're probably, <clears throat> excuse me, they're probably going to have to ride with Jack Tuttle at quarterback. So get creative. I, I'm, you have to have an identity, as we talked about, but do do some things that Michigan State is not expecting. I mean. At this point, what do you have to lose, really? I mean, because and I don't understand why they didn't have that mentality when they were playing Penn State. The most aggravating thing, and I know the game was essentially lost at this point. Um, you could argue that they could have had a miracle, obviously, but when they were backed into practically their own end zone, and it's third and whatever, and Nick Sheridan decides to just run it up the middle again instead of trying to get to the first down marker. What is the what is that? And like I do believe there was at least nine, ten minutes left in that game. I know you're down three scores, but why fold? Why fold when everyone's already criticizing what's been going on, not only in that game, but throughout the beginning of this season? I mean, he he's firmly, and, and this isn't any sort of hot take by any stretch, he's on the hot seat already if he doesn't change what uh what his philosophy is in some way during the last several games of this season. One of the reasons I like Greg Schiano and Sean Gleason up at Rutgers is because you go back to that Ohio State game they played last season, and they were down 28, 35 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, the game was over. It was decided, but they ran some trick plays. They did some things on special teams that Ohio State wasn't 
looking for, and they scored points. And what that can do and why I think Indiana needs to do that is even if you don't win this game, even if you don't beat Michigan State, it at least generates some sort of momentum. It gives your players some confidence that, hey, we can get into the end zone. If you go another week against Michigan State and you don't score a touchdown, like when the hell are you going to score a touchdown? Because yeah. you still have Ohio State and Michigan on the on the schedule. Like that's you have, might have to wait till the season ender against Purdue. Their defense is playing pretty well. Minnesota's defense is playing well. Like to me, you have to get creative and you have to generate offensively because this is more than just this is how they're going to win this game. If you don't get into the end zone, if you don't find a way to score points and be competitive in this game, this season can spiral out of, spiral out of control in a hurry. One thing that that's that I thought of as you were speaking about the fact that or the potential if Indian doesn't score any uh, points from getting into the end zone. Uh, I was thinking about Kerry Coombs at Ohio State and the situation that they went through. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if Tom Allen would have the guts to do something midseason in terms of changing who calls the plays. And I've, I made the comment last week how I think Delon McCullough and obviously this is there is no evidence to back that Delon McCullough would be a good offensive coordinator. I'm solely going off the fact that he was on Kevin Wilson's staff, which was known for having prolific offenses, and he he had several fantastic running backs on uh, on while he was a coach at Indiana. Running backs coach at Indiana during that time. Obviously, he's he hasn't had a chance to rebuild that. This being his first season back, but it wouldn't surprise me if if Indiana genuinely has some problems like if they if they barely if they don't even hit 10 points against Michigan State which like you said this is not the defense to be only scoring a few points on this this could potentially I don't want to call it a shootout because I think this maybe fall more in the 20 to maybe high 20s low 30s range of a game mm-hmm. uh, but if, if if it's not that and Indiana is struggling again you have to make a decision on something I don't think from my perspective I don't think you could let Nick Sheridan continue if you don't see vast improvement against Michigan State this week. Right. And the other thing to note of that is not always <clears throat> if I could talk today without getting something <laughs> caught, like, <clears throat> it would be nice. I'm sure everybody's aggravated with me clearing my throat every 12 seconds. But point being is there there's a chance that Tom Allen may have already made some sort of change telling anybody about it. I mean that's true. At this point he said and I know Nick Sheridan took a lot of responsibility in the weekly press conferences and, and Tom Allen said it's unacceptable and we're going to have to make some changes. And so we don't know what that thing is. You you probably, on some level, I can see where, okay, we're going to have somebody help with the play calling, but I'm not going to announce it because I don't want to publicly embarrass my offensive coordinator. So well, he does have a co-offensive coordinator in Grant Hurd. He's not talked about so much as regard well, to being a co-offensive coordinator but surely his role might increase in that if that if that's the case. Correct. So that's that's what I'm saying. We it's not. I mean, we we just don't know. Something could have changed, and we may not know about it. But I, the point being is, yes, if Indiana's offense doesn't look better this week after an off week, and you probably not. I don't want to call it the worst defense you've seen, obviously, because you had Western Kentucky. But in terms of a Power Five opponent or, or Cincinnati, this is probably. This is a defense that you should be able to put some points on the board against. You've, I would say, looked at Michigan State a lot more than I have. So I do want to ask you this. And if you can't answer, then forgive me for asking the question. But what do you think Michigan State would struggle with the, or will struggle with the most in terms of Indiana as a whole this weekend? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know... I that is a great question. I wonder if they this would is be, why I should we should have gotten a Michigan State dude on so I wouldn't have to ask is, you this kind of thing. Well, it, it's a good question because I'm I'm going through my head of what Michigan State is really good at, and they're really good at mixing things up offensively. Um, I don't know that they'll be able to hit the big play as much as they would like. I I mean, I say that I, th- I still think Indiana's secondary is really good, uh, especially if they're at full strength. I still think that they're capable of keeping some of those receivers in check. Now, 
Can a guy like Kenneth Walker catch a swing pass and take it 80 yards? Yeah, absolutely. Can a guy like Jalen Naylor catch a 15-yard pass, you know, put the jukes on a guy and, and get to the end zone? Sure. But I'm wondering, you know, Michigan State has hit a flea flicker. It seems like 12 times this season. It's probably like five or six. <clears throat> but they've scored on a lot of flea flickers this season. I just don't know if they would be able to stretch the field against Indiana's secondary. I, I don't know that they'll have that big playability. That would be my one guess. I, I just don't think, outside of Nebraska, nobody's been able to shut down Kenneth Walker. So I just, I don't think Indiana have much of a chance in terms of completely shutting him down. They might be able to slow him down and not have him, you know, pile up five yards per carry. But in my opinion, that's probably Indiana's best weapon is to try to try to create some turnovers when Michigan State does try to stretch the field. And that's another thing that we haven't even touched on in, on the Indiana side of things, the run game and the offensive line. And you, you've, we've mentioned already several times the, the, the fact that Michigan State's probably one of the weaker defenses that they've faced, not necessarily calling it a weak defense, just not as good as the caliber that they've seen already this season. I'm curious if this could be a good time for Stephen Carr to have sort of a breakout game. I'm not saying he's going to rush for 150, 200 yards, but can you help Jack Tuttle by doing enough to make uh, Michigan State's defense focus on something other than Jack Tuttle. You know what I would do? I would involve Stephen Carr in these dump-off passes and, and try to extend be an extension of the run game in some capacity because I don't know. I, I mean, again, I keep I continually go back to the fact that they rushed for under three and a half yards per carry against freaking Idaho. Like I, I cannot get over that. So when you say maybe Indiana can establish the rushing attack, I just don't see it. Like, not in a traditional sense anyway. Can they get Stephen Carr involved? I think they can. But okay. you have to you have to mix it up. You can't just run up the middle or you just can't run off the tackle no. or whatever you're trying to do and expect to gain yardage. Like I don't I don't see any way Indiana's gonna be able to do that at all against anybody they're playing this season. But can you get Stephen Carr involved? Can you maybe open that up a little bit where that's you know, maybe if you're in a second and three, you can use that and you can pick up your first down, you know, something along those lines. So I think that they need to get the running backs involved, but I don't think it looks like what you would expect it to look like, if that makes sense. Yeah, not a traditional run game right. type. Right. So it, we've we've talked a lot about this and we, we, we talked a little bit about it last week when Mitchell Page was on. So we don't want to keep beating the horse to death, obviously. We'll see what happens this week. we got plenty more games to talk about, and we'll get Dustin and mine, our predictions, uh, to, at, at the end. But uh, So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it should, could maybe be a good game. I don't I mean, at the beginning of the year, this was the, a win that – or this was a game that a lot of Indiana fans probably just checked off. And probably a lot of Big Ten teams had checked off as a win. I mean – Correct. Uh, I don't want to – I'm not. This is not me calling you out, but you've mentioned it several times yeah. that you've you listed Michigan State as the worst team in the Big Ten, which is absolutely not the case. And I I can't say that I would have disagreed with you at the beginning of the season. I feel like a lot of people, not just you, because Michigan State last year there wasn't there was no evidence that there was going to be anything coming into this season. They were relying solely on transfers. I mean, and that's exactly what's help drive them to success this year. So it's a it's a very good example of the the fact that the transfer portal can work if you have the right personnel. Right. And you never know how that's going to work because you never know how it's going to mesh in the locker room. I had questions about the offensive line. I still thought that their skill position players were pretty good. I didn't think the defense was going to be very good. And I think it's a lot better. And I still think it has some holes, but I still think it's a lot better than what I expected. So, I mean, yeah, this team – and I want to say that when I had them last in the Big Ten, I thought everybody else in the Big Ten was going to take a step up. So I didn't necessarily think this was going to be like a Rutgers 2017 bad or a Purdue 2012 yeah. or 13 bad. I thought it was going to be like a four and eight season. Um, and but I, clearly I'm wrong. Like they've already surpassed the win total I thought that they were going to have for the year by two games, six weeks into the season. So <laughs> okay, they could be like. Ron Zook's last Illinois team and and lose out and go six and six. Oh, Didn't that happen I, his last year at Illinois? I yeah so, yeah I think yeah something crazy like that happened yeah. And he got fired obviously after yeah. that season, but 
I remember because I was at their sixth win. They faced Indiana at Memorial Stadium to be six and zero, and they didn't win a game after that. So <laughs> that's why that sticks in my mind. Heartland interesting, games. interesting little tidbit from Illinois football. Let's go ahead and move on to the rest of the week slate. We've got five other games in the Big Ten. We do have one out of conference matchup. I was almost certain that we didn't until I looked at this week's schedule, but we we do, and we may have more after this that I'm not aware of. Uh, it's week seven here in the Big Ten, and uh, like I said, we've the the noon game, and we'll we'll save this pick for the end. We already talked about it. number ten Michigan State at Indiana. I do believe Nebraska and Minnesota is also a noon game. Am I not? If I'm not mistaken, Dustin. What's that? I said I do believe Nebraska. <laughs> you're gonna say I do believe Nebraska and Minnesota is also a noon kickoff. Oh God, you're asking me about. And time. if it doesn't matter, it's it's not that big of a deal. I was just going Hold off on. the we fact that we have this Google machine here. Let me just tell we, you, we love the Google right, machine. We have this guy. This, I'm about to get off topic for about a minute. Let's probably. stall. Yes. One of this one of this yes, guys. I Minnesota are both at noon. Is at noon, and then also Rutgers and Northwestern is at noon. What a beautiful schedule we have. Three noon. One one or one three thirty and one eight o'clock. That's ideal scheduling right there. That's Take what me. happens when you're in the conference season. You don't have to worry about a million games to keep track of anymore. And obviously, the non-conference matchups are fun, especially when you get Power Five versus Power Five or ranked versus ranked. For like the Indiana Cincinnati, for example, obviously Cincinnati not being a Power Five team. But uh, I was going to go off on a tangent, but I'm. It makes no sense, so we're not going to talk. We're not going to go off on that tangent. Nebraska at Minnesota. I think – I feel like I do this a lot whenever I do pick'ems, but this is a game at the beginning of the season that my pick would have been different based on what Minnesota had. And and it's mainly based on the fact that I feel like Muhammad Ibrahim, him, his absence, it doesn't provide that extra level, especially that elite level of talent that Minnesota is has been lacking ever since his departure. Plus, you got Nebraska, who every week seems to be shooting upward. They still haven't gotten that win. Uh, obviously, the, a lot of Nebraska things, fans think they were cheated out of a win against Michigan this past week. Uh, but I, I looked this even though this is on the road in Minneapolis. I think Nebraska will come away with this one. Yeah, and the other factor there is Trey Potts is also out, and uh, their backup running back, and then. Uh, well, he was their number one. Uh, and then Curtis Dunlap, an offensive lineman who's played in every game this season, hit the transfer portal. So they got some changes. The one thing that you look at in this game is that Minnesota's coming off of a bye. Nebraska's played eight straight, ga- uh, seven straight games. This will be their eighth straight. And it's it's on the road. Uh, they haven't had a bye yet. So you wonder about those kind of factors. But I do think Nebraska is the better team. I just don't know how Minnesota is going to be able to move the ball on, on the Nebraska defense. So um, I'm going to go with the Huskers in this one as well. The next one we have, uh, it's a battle of what I would, at this point in the season, I would say two bottom dwellers in the Big Ten. I think Rutgers showed, I didn't even say the match yet, <laughs> Rutgers at Northwestern. I think Rutgers shows a lot more promise than Northwestern does. I think Northwestern is probably actually going to lose out the rest of the year. And that could change. You never know what's going to happen. But Northwestern, they go through this phase where, and we talk about this too all the time, where they win a Big Ten title or they have a fantastic season, and then they're just completely depleted the following year. And that seems like that's exactly what's going on in Evanston. I just spit. Hopefully nobody saw that on camera. But um, I think I might have already said who I was going to say, but Dustin, I'll let you go in case I didn't. Yeah, I'll go with Rutgers. I just I, – I don't have much faith in Northwestern. I think that Rutgers – you know, they started off hot three wins. Then they played Michigan, uh, Ohio State, and Michigan State. And that's – I mean, that's ultimately your murderer's row in the Big Ten aside from Penn State. So I think they get a nice opportunity to bounce back and get back in the win column and get to four and three. And if I didn't make it clear by saying Northwestern's probably going to lose out, I am picking Rutgers. Uh, next up we have uh, – A very interesting matchup solely because the team that's not favored has given the team that is favored plenty of fits and gotten some W's over the past several years. Purdue at number two, Iowa. Uh, It's it's a game that if it weren't for those past results, I don't feel like people would put much thought into it. Mm -hmm. But and I remember seeing Greek on Twitter even saying that before the Penn State matchup that he was more afraid of playing Purdue 
than he was Penn State last weekend. So uh, I don't think this Purdue team is as talented as the ones or, or showing as or, or executing as well, I should say, yeah. as well as previous Purdue teams that have allowed them to win these games against Iowa. And plus, Iowa has been a lot more dominant than they have in recent years as a whole. So because of that, I'm taking the Hawkeyes in Kinnick Stadium. Yeah, I mean, Purdue's offense, they've scored 13 points each of the last three games, but Purdue is coming off of a bye week. I think it's important as to who the starting quarterback is. A lot of people want Aiden O'Connell, but I think he's high risk, high reward. I think he's very much like Michael Penix, um, and he's going to turn the ball over. So I would go with Jack Plummer uh, because he's got seven touchdown passes, no interceptions, about 65%, maybe it's 69% completion rate. I think he's close to 70% completion rate. So I would try to dink and dunk Iowa to death and then see if you can hit a big pass play every now and again. But um, I've picked against Iowa twice this season. I think Purdue does have a real (laughs) shot to pull the upset, but I'm going to pick Iowa because I just can't pick against the Hawkeyes for a third time and look foolish. One thing that, uh, man, I, I had two thoughts in my head and they just got in each other's way. And for some reason, I can't figure out which one to uh, which one I was going with anymore. Um, I hate. Maybe I'll get back to that uh, here in a second. But well, if I do, I'll bring it up. Going moving on to Army at Wisconsin, the only non-conference matchup we had. And I, Dustin, and you may agree with, me, maybe you won't, but I actually struggled with this game for a while because when I looked back, I was like, Wisconsin. It's kind of what we were talking about with Illinois earlier. Wisconsin, it doesn't matter who they play. They just – they can't – I mean, yeah, they scored 24 points in Illinois, but they don't look good doing it. And Illinois is probably a level above Northwestern in terms of the bottom of the of the cellar. But when you struggle to play well on offense against somebody like Illinois, it's hard to trust that Wisconsin can play well on offense against anybody. But on the other side of things, when I was looking at Army and what they've done, yes, they have a very dynamic offense, but their defense is very suspect. And when you combine Army's offense and Wisconsin's defense, I don't think Army's going to have the success that they've had against lesser opponents against Wisconsin. And for that reason, once again, I'm picking ahead of you. It just seems like the way that – and I, I, I've mentioned – I've disclosed this before. I do make my picks ahead of time. So it's really not that big of a deal. Uh, but I'm taking the Badgers in this one. I'm taking Army. I have no faith in Graham Mertz. I have no faith in the Wisconsin offense. I think that the Army offense is actually unique enough. If this game was played week one, then that gives Wisconsin time to kind of prepare for it. But because of the fact that it's in the middle of the week, Wisconsin didn't get the bye. Um, You know, their bye was was a couple weeks ago. I truly believe that I think Army is going to have enough wrinkles in that offense, and it's just different enough. Um, that they'll get some points, and I again, I I just don't know where Wisconsin's going to get points from. I don't I don't know that Army's defense is great, but neither was Illinois's defense, and you know they only managed uh, twenty four points, and, and a lot of those came because the the offense was on the field or the Illinois defense was on the field so long. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Army in this one. Another another thought, real quick on Wisconsin. Didn't they? Wasn't Jalen Berger released from the team yeah, he, or yeah, suspended from yeah, the team? Yeah. Yep, he was uh, dismissed from the team, yep. So there you go. Someone who used to be a major contributor for the Badgers not going to be on the sidelines with them this weekend. And that brings us to the game we've been talking about all podcasts for the most part, Michigan State, number 10 Michigan State at Indiana. I'm going to go ahead and give this to you first, Dustin. Yeah, I mean – I still have 0% faith in the Indiana offense. Um, I think it will look better, but how much better is it going to look? And I don't, I just don't know that Indiana is going to be able to have a response for Kenneth Walker. Um, So for that reason, I don't want I don't think this is going to be a blowout. I predicted a blowout a couple weeks ago when they played Penn state, but I think that Michigan state wins it comfortably. I'm going to go just to throw a score on it, I'll say Michigan State wins 27 to 14. Shoot, that's something I haven't done is throw a score on it, but I am going. This is, I wrestled with this, and maybe it's the fact that Indiana had an extra week and I had an extra week to think about it. Uh, but I'm taking the Hoosiers, and maybe this is a head or a heart decision, and it probably is because earlier I was wrestling head, is this a head versus a heart decision? But when I thought of all the factors that could contribute to an Indiana win, 
I do think that it is realistic enough for it to happen. Maybe it's unrealistic to those outside of the Indiana rose tinted glasses, so to speak. But when you have Jack Tuttle coming in, who has had success in the past, you're going to have Nick Sheridan, who's probably going to uh, enjoy having somebody who's not injured. And this is obviously me giving Nick Sheridan the benefit of the doubt. I've been critical of Nick Sheridan and, and rightly so. And on the other end of things, I do think that the defensive side of the ball, as I've said earlier, is borderline elite. And I think it's going to do just to do just enough against a team that I think has benefited a lot from its more on the weaker side of the schedule. And that, like I said earlier, the very beginning of this, I'm not taking away or I'm not trying to take away from what Michigan State has done to be successful. They very well could be a nine or ten win team. And if that's the case, then that probably includes a win against Indiana this weekend. Uh, but I'm going with Indiana in this, and I could very well be wrong, but I am taking the Hoosiers. I think you are going to be wrong, but we'll find out. Hey, that's fine. I am currently on the upswing. I didn't mention this on air earlier, but I finally got a win head-to-head against Dustin (laughs) with Iowa Penn State, and I'm going to have two opportunities this week as well well to to get up to, I guess, a three-game differential because you end up taking Army, which I'm, I'm surprised that you took it. At this, but at the same time, once you gave your explanation, those were the reasons that that anybody would take Army because they are – anytime you play any of the military teams, it's odd. Indiana played Navy several years back when Kevin Wilson was the head coach. They played him twice, and I'm pretty sure they lost to him both times. And, I mean, and Indiana had a very dynamic offense that should have been able to put up enough, enough points, uh, but that defense was so terrible back when Kevin Wilson – Prior to Tom, now I know Tom Allen was with Kevin Wilson for either a season or a season and a half. I can't remember, but prior to getting Tom Allen, Kevin Wilson defenses were horrendous. So uh, once again, getting off on a, a little tangent, evidently, but I guess that probably uh, wrap things up. Thing wraps things up here, Dustin, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that'll that'll wrap it up, and uh, it, this is a much less interesting week in the Big Ten as opposed to what we had last week. But you know, it's still Big Ten you can't, football. You can't always have banner weekends when it comes That's to scheduling, right. but you do get a banner weekend in terms of the overall, I guess, timing, like we mentioned earlier. That's true. That's a Schedule. small, small win, but small victory. Yep. So that'll do it. Be sure to listen to Indiana Sports Beat Radio tomorrow with Jim. And then we'll obviously, we always have Dustin with us on Thursday. So be sure to check that out. We'll be back next week. This has been This Week in Indiana Football. We'll see you next time.